Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am, I am thrilled uh, with today's guest because we have a, it's a special edition of Hacking the Red Circle and uh, you've heard him here before, but um, we're going to co-host this show, Randy Bretz, who, as you know, was the organizer at TEDx Lincoln. He has since retired. I think, Randy, you're in the emeritus category. Uh, <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But I have white still, hair. He, he's, he still is the co-creator. And um, Randy got in touch with me a little while back and said, he has a special guest that he would love to interview with me and bring to the Hacking the Red Circle um, audience as well as his Behind the X audience. So, Randy, without further ado, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, you know, I'm not alone in the feeling that uh, the person we're interviewing today, Laura Stein, uh, has had a significant impact on my life. And Laura is uh, what I consider to be one of the founders of TEDx. Uh, she lives in New York City, which I think is, is really great. And she is a founder and the CEO of a new international organization called BOMA that we'll look into today. But like many of the listeners uh, to the show, uh, I interacted with uh, Laura mostly by email. And when I first asked for my license, I said, I'd like to have <laughs> TEDx Nebraska. And she wrote back and said, no, you can't. <laughs> and then I wrote a very logical and well thought out argument for TEDx Nebraska, because I think across our entire state. And she wrote back and said, no. And then oh. I begged for TEDx <laughs> Nebraska. And she still said no. Well, then I met her at a TEDx workshop out in California. It, it was 2012, I think, for TED Active. And she still said no, but she explained to me it was because there were a set of rules that were set up, and this was a worldwide organization. And if you change one rule for one guy in Nebraska, that could have massive impact all across the globe. And it's the beginning of TEDx and, and those rules and, and how it was set up that we're going to explore today. So, uh, Laura, I want to say hi and welcome. And, and Mark and I are thrilled to be able to talk with you today. And I guess we'll just begin by saying, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved with TED? Firstly, I wanted to say thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my background is I'm South African. I grew up in a very small town outside of Johannesburg during apartheid. Um, you know, I, I think 
it definitely informed how I think about the world at a very early age. I was seeing how systems can really impact humanity for, you know, very negatively, but also can you build the right types of systems, can create great change. Um, and moved to America after high school on my own. I got a scholarship to study and I was also a ballet dancer. So I was dancing and studying uh, and landed up staying on in America and working for a lot of big for-profit companies and non-profit companies along the way. Uh, was a documentary filmmaker for a short while. Always with the idea, sort of the common thread has very much been around how do we create different kinds of systems or tell different stories that will help systems change in the world and how do we drive impact. And um, took four years off, um, had twins in um, 2001 and then was looking to do something meaningful with my life because I felt like if I was going to leave my four-year-old twins at home alone, it had to be for something that I really felt was having this, you know, making a difference in the world and landed up, I'd gone to TED my, pretty much my whole life um, from, you know, from the age of about 25 uh, and I was connected back into the network through a TEDster. Uh, they were looking for somebody to help with one of the TED prizes called Pangea Day and um, was hired to help run that prize. Uh, my job was to help find the money and get a global audience to show up on one given day to watch a highly curated four-hour block of short films that were in some ways meant to move the world's compass. Uh, and so that was my sort of beginning at TED and the beginning of my, you know, what, what led to TEDx. Well, I remember Pangea Day, and I, but I'd forgotten the name of it because I've been working on a project with New York for the last uh, four years, and the, the project's called Pangea, which is the whole thing of bringing everybody together. And I remember in Los Angeles, Sony Imageworks uh, provided the studio space for that. Yeah. Don Levy, yeah. another uh, yeah. longtime Tedster, uh, was involved. Yeah, know him well, yeah. And so what's interesting and I think significant about the timing of this is that uh, Ted is 10 years old uh, in March of 2019. Not sure when someone will be listening to this and I, I, you know, doing a little bit of research, you know, we see that the first TEDx was TEDx USC and they had called Chris to, you know, get a license or it probably wasn't even get a license. It's like, let's do Ted at a university and he said, I needed to find someone to help do it. Um, and you are on the scene. Were you already involved with Ted at that time? And he said, do you want to take this on as well? Or Yeah, I had just got off running Pangea Day and working on, you know, building the sort of global community where 3,000 plus groups of people showed up to watch this four-hour block of highly curated Films and you know, sort of the light bulb went off definitely in me and the power of community to convene and um, you know, have and think about things differently. And so, Chris had come to me after that and asked, you know, he was trying to figure out at that point how do we take this small, highly produced conference that happened once a year, you know, very exclusive conference, how do we take it out to the world? And while I'd been Working on Pangea Day, um, I'd 
taken meetings with the mayor of Rio, with the shaker of Qatar, all who were sort of wanting Ted to come to their country. And so Chris approached me after Pangea Day and asked if I was interested in helping work through this problem and if we could find a way to do it in a way that it wasn't uh, super resource heavy on TED um, and what that could maybe look like. And so I spent the next, that summer basically working on a framework and, you know, I'd worked for Microsoft. I, I had, I had worked for a bunch of technology companies. I'd run a web strategy shop. And what was really interesting to me was the open source movement and creative commons and, um, you know, in fact, you know, I just met with Larry Lessig. I, you know, I'm a big, I was a big supporter of that way of thinking of how do we create a different system to open things up. And so I started to apply that framework to um, TED and um, with Chris's support came up with sort of this framework um, that was a, a set of rules and guidelines that we could develop to open up TED in a different kind of way. And so created the backbone of that and then spent the next six months working on, well, if we are going to create a license that sort of allowed other people to run events and it was a free license and an open license, what rules and guidelines should we put on um, this framework? And so spent a lot of time thinking about that. And obviously there was a lot of resistance inside of TED because the idea of opening up the TED brand to strangers wasn't something that everybody was comfortable with. And Many thought it would have negative impact on the brand. And how much of the TED DNA do we actually give away versus control? And for a long time, uh, many internally on the leadership team thought we shouldn't give too much of it away because it was sort of the TED secret source. And so it was very much like what was the backbone of what we were trying to do here? How open were we willing to be at the beginning? And who were we going to allow to sort of take out this free license? And, um, and so, you know, spent six months working on that strategy, working on a document that outlined what these rules and guidelines would look like, um, working closely with some of the other directors on the TED team um, to kind of figure out their comfort zone or lack thereof, um, and then working through, well, you know, the branding and everything else we'd need to put this out there in the world. And, you know, I think there was a pretty crucial moment in at one point where Chris just decided once I developed this, let's try it. Let's put it out there in the world as an experiment. And so, you know, I wrote a little email saying your help needed and it went out just to the TED community saying, you know, we'd like you to try host a TED-like event in your community. And here is a, the basic backbone of the guidelines. Prior to that, um, um, Z um, from USC and Chris had been, and I had been having this conversation about if we were going to do this, could we prototype this somewhere? And so, um, you know, USC put their hand up and said, yeah, we'd be willing to prototype it um, at USC. And so I started working with the USC team at the Stevens School on, you know, how, what would this look like if we did it on a university campus? And um, that was sort of how the USC came to be that first TEDx event. Although technically speaking, the University of Warwick was doing an event already on their campus and they agreed to take the TEDx brand and branded TEDx, but it was sort of a, 
a real sort of early stage prototype that sort of predated uh, TEDx USC. USC was really the first intentional big TEDx event on a university campus. Laura, uh, I'm 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 interested in. Uh, you've described spending a summer and then six months working on this. Were you did you just kind of hide out in your office and do this, or were you working with other people and saying, "What do you think about this?" and uh, "How how do we handle that?" and how, "How did you go about doing this?" So, yes, I was hiding out in the TED office at that time. There were, <laughs> you know, I think there were only about twenty five people in the TED office, you know, and there was a small team uh-huh. of directors. So, yes, I was harding out developing these rules and guidelines, you know, but there were sort of certain critical moments where certain decisions had to be made and where I had to sort of have these strategic conversations with different people who own different pieces of the, um, the TED DNA to say how much of this should we include, how much of this should we not include, what are, what are we giving too much away of how we do things, um, and is that going to somehow negatively affect TED and the TED brand or um, disenfranchise the existing TED community, which was a very high-end, quite elite community, right? And so there were a lot of those discussions that went on. And most certainly once we developed out, out the idea of the TEDx brand, you know, that was a conversation that went on. Should the TEDx brand be a different color? Is TEDx enough of a separation from the TED mothership? And that's where we sort of came up with X equals independently organized events. And that concept is revisited over and over again as certain things happened within the TEDx community where TED felt that it could have a negative effect, this idea of do we create more separation between the community brand and the TED brand for a lot of reasons. Um, and I can, you know, get into that. I'm uh, specifically, I, I, was it the subject line was your help needed? I believe so. I can go back and look. Um, it was something along that, those lines. Um, I, I'm really interested in, as an entrepreneur and as someone who's a, a maker themselves, um, I like to go back to the original email. Um, I know when I started my company, which was, uh, we, we did a project for Chris in 2003, a software project for one of the sponsors. And it was such a wild success, it turned into the thing I'm still doing 15 years later. But I remember that the subject line of the email was, want to play, with a question mark. And we sent it out to uh, 10 people who all came back and said, yes, of course we want to play. So I'm, I'm just, there's just an interesting side note that you did that. So this is uh, just to set our calendar right. So this is in 2008, because the, right, so the first licenses then were then 2009 which got it which gets us to march 2019 10 years later i'm curious uh in the in the rules because the rules are a big part of what we do did you look at um other uh, organizations for guidance and inspiration or were you thinking very specifically because TED is is a unique animal. I remember there was a lot of consternation uh, with Chris, like, should we let the videos out? Like, should, you know, we we inverted the paradigm from this cloistered community to ideas worth spreading. So it's kind of like, well, let's try this prototype and then bam, it explodes. So I think a lot of my background informed what ultimately became TEDx. I'm, I came from a 
educational background where I worked a lot on educational projects. I then went to Hollywood and ran the licensing department of an animation company. And then I, I, I landed up at uh, Marvel doing technology licensing in the early days of DVDs. I then landed up um, at Microsoft running the Microsoft network. And I think all those experiences kind of converged on what ultimately became TEDx. Most certainly TED is an event with sort of a very high-end, unique kind of output. And so the question kept arising, well, how do we open this up but maintain the quality of TED? And that was a question we, we had to keep revisiting as the network grew. I think at the very beginning, it was, it was quite easy to ensure while opening it up a certain level of quality because everybody who knew about it was sort of mainly an insider because that original email went out to Tedsters who had been coming to Ted for a long time. But as the network grew, that became a lot more challenging. And I remember at the very beginning, and I'm going to give her credit because um, TEDx launched around the same time as Ted India, a little after. And I remember talking to Lachmi, who ran Ted India, and she's like, Laura, you're going to need a different set of rules for India. And here are all the reasons why. And, you know, four or five years later, we landed up having to evolve the application for India a little differently than the rest of the world for various reasons. But at the beginning, you know, I was very much um, sort of hell-bent on this idea that we wanted one set of rules and guidelines. We didn't want to differentiate um, based on uh, region or country or culture. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of, I think a lot of what became TEDx was a, a conversion of um, my background, but I don't, I, I, you know, as I said, one of my inspirations was, you know, the open source movement. Um, but I'd also had a background in building these different kinds of licensing programs and technology frameworks. And the Microsoft network was, which was an, a um, entertainment, five entertainment channels on, on a, on a platform and op a, a, a broadband platform back in the day when we we're still connecting through in 14 four modem was sort of way ahead of its time thinking about how do we do this differently. Um, and so I can't say I looked at any one thing, but it was definitely a convergence of a lot of different ways of which I'd been challenged in the past. Okay. Uh, I want, I want to uh, kind of put a, marked down at the beginning of March of 2009 and some licenses go out and then a year later you come back and say it's 2010 and look at what's happened. Did it surprise you? Uh, and, and, and you, as you look back now, 10 years yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was personally blown away. You know, at the beginning of that summer when Chris asked me, you know, to start to think about this, I thought, well, by the end of the summer, I could be out of a job or we could have something kind of interesting here, right? And so mm -hmm. when we did the TEDx USC event, I thought, this is interesting. You know, this could work if people sign up for it. Um, and, you know, by the end of that first year, and I'd have to look back at the statistics, but I think we had about somewhere between 200 um, individuals who have signed on to host TEDx events. And yeah. um, it was more the level of passion and commitment that they were taking it on with, you know, when we originally were thinking about it, we were thinking about, oh, they'll do some, people will sign up maybe do some small community events inside their um, local communities and invite a few interesting speakers. And I think what was interesting about it is that some of the old Tedsters were taking it on in a way that they wanted to kind of challenge Ted. They wanted to do it better than Ted, even though it was only allowed to be a day long, you know, and it was 
free. Um, and so that was a surprise. And and related to that, um, I've gone to a number of workshops and programs, some of which you've coordinated. I didn't make it to Doha, but tell me a little bit about the, the thinking behind pulling the TEDx people together, doing workshops and, and, and creating that yeah. synergy that yeah. happens. So, you know, I think the thing that was exciting to me about TEDx and what I'm trying to create with BOMA, my new global network, is that there was so much innovation on the edges and really it was the community that innovated, right? And so pretty early on in the TEDx, um, the, the, the TEDx network, there was a gentleman by the name of Anthony Willoughby who um, had run a professional development school under the Great Wall of China that was truly extraordinary that I think Buffett and Gates had been to. And so he decided to do a TEDx event under the Great Wall. And this was an exception. He wanted to call it TEDx Great Wall, and it was approved. There were a lot of exceptions early on, going back to your earlier comment. In fact, those TEDx, those exceptions have now, I think, been eliminated. But there were a lot of those. And yeah. so what was it? For, I forgive you. <laughs> Sorry, yours wasn't one of them. Um, but... Um, he basically said, let's do a TEDx under the Great Wall of China. And not only that, let's invite all the TEDx organizers in Asia that were a handful, you know, maybe 12 at the time. And let's think about how we could maybe do some kind of a scenario planning after our TEDx. And so we all showed up at the Great Wall. We had a great event, TEDx, small TEDx event under the Great Wall of China in this really like ancient, almost monastery setting. And then the next day, we actually went on to the Great Wall of China and did this sort of scenario planning where we did map, mind mapping and all sorts of things. And what was so interesting to me, the light bulb went off, was that that group of TEDx organizers are incredibly close to this day and really re created an amazing foundation um, for the, the, the Asian network, TEDx network, to start collaborating with one another. And I was like, this is interesting. This is something I need to pay attention to. Let's try to figure out how to bring this back into the network. And that was sort of the beginning of, well, how do we get people to come together in a self-organized way to talk about their communities and what they want to do with their communities? How do we do that on a local level, a regional level, and then a global level? And so I evolved that idea over time to what eventually became, oh, why don't we bring them all together for a, a global event where we can break people off in different ways to think about how we could move forward in this world to create more interesting and innovative systems, and both from a TEDx perspective, but also from a global perspective. And what does that look like? And so um, obviously I then had to find funding for it, um, which was a bigger challenge and get Ted's approval, which was, you know, uh, also a challenge. But um, ultimately, it's, you know, by sheer will, it sort of happened. Um, and, you know, I think to this day, I think a lot of TEDxers who are part of that, um, you know, first six years look back on that event as sort of a pretty epic moment in the TEDx community. Um, I had a fight very hard, I remember, for that one day in the desert and, you know, it got killed multiple times and I kept resurrecting it. And I said, when people look back on this, they're not going to remember the conference room. They're going to remember us sitting in Bedouin tents in the desert, you know, with each other, having these kinds of conversations where you have Israeli, Palestinians and Lebanese all talking in a, and, you know, and Saudis all in a tent talking about how do we create something different in the world. That's, that's what has impacted me personally so much. I have met people all over the world, from China to India to 
Pakistan to Iran, Iraq, and and it just it, uh, and it's hard for me to put into words. But uh, and and you've got to feel a sense of accomplishment having created that kind of an atmosphere. Yeah. Well, and I, I really do. And it was an amazing moment that has never been replicated. And I have to thank um, Sheikha Al-Mayasa for that because she wanted to do TED. And I said to her, I remember the pitch. I said to her, um, uh, you know, your excellency, I'm bringing, I'm, I'm not, I can't bring you TED, but I can bring you the next big thing, which is TEDx. And you're going to help make it happen. And to her credit, she decided to help fund that, which was pretty amazing at that moment in time. I remember watching that opening night. Uh, that was spectacular. Out, I mean, it was just uh, amazing. And I, uh, as a 25-year TEDster, most of my interaction was from TED. So I'd be in Long Beach and this thing called Active was happening, you know, over in Palm Springs. And a guy had been, a friend of mine here in town had been to Palm Springs. And he called me, the, I think the week after, and he goes, dude, I want to bring TEDx to Santa Barbara. I want to do it. And he says, but I I have no idea how to do it. And that was, uh, you know, our first was in 2010. I want to go back to what you said about um, the open source. And and now that I know a little bit about your background in Marvel and licensing and networking, you were the right person, the right time at that place to do it. The open source nature of the TEDx community is is an absolute marvel. Uh, sorry, pun not intended. Um, when we think about how we freely share uh, information and best practices, which is why I decided to do this show, it's like how could we share and learn from one another freely because, because they're – uh, the the rule that you can't have two TEDx Santa Barbaras. You could only have one. Uh, you could have a, a, a lot of TEDx's in Manhattan, but they're, you know, you don't share the name. So we don't compete with one another uh, per se. There are probably some highly dense communities where there's some competition for dollars, but that no compete ethos has, uh, I think, allowed so much sharing of ideas. For instance, my sponsor document is, I think, an amalgam of 10 different docs that I found online, you know, that were freely shared and then you share them back. Did you think that that, I mean, it's hard to, hard to look in the rearview mirror, but was that one of your hopes in setting this up that it actually, that community weaving would actually happen the way it has? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was part of the vision from the very beginning that we wanted to create an environment that was collaborative and not competitive. We didn't know if it was going to work because obviously you are allowing multiple licenses within one um, community and that obviously by nature is competitive. And, you know, I think with all due respect, I think it's worked to some degree. I think in the communities like the big cities where there is more competition, I think it's become a lot more complicated, especially the people that were on on board early on that have built these like very high end, very, um, you know, qualitative um, events. And then within the same community, there are events going on that are smaller than all the same size that aren't as qualitative. And then, as you said, the competition for sponsor dollars. I think um, I think it's more complex depending on the, the size of the community, right? And so, but the the, the concept of everybody collaborating and sharing was definitely 
part of what what I wanted to put forward in the world is a DNA that you're stronger by that by learning from each other and by that sense of collaboration and the idea of the wiki and the open source and how we do that. Um, you know, I think that the current where it's gone, it, it was very open. I think it's it's got a it, it, it's, it's evolved even in the last four years and that the platform now isn't as open that, you know, where they share is a closed platform. Um, you know, the beginning was completely open. We're doing it with Google Docs. Everything was done in a way that you could, anybody, regardless of you, a TEDx organ or not, could actually access the material. Um, and it was always part of the vision of what I continue to build on um, as I, as I've been evolving the, the idea, the you know, and and building an evolution of what started off as TEDx. You know, I think we also revisited a lot at TED on an ongoing basis. Whether it wasn't all positive, right? Whether what we had created was too open, and whether we had to put additional rules in for different communities. And um, you know, there were times when you know, very way into it. You know, there were questions whether we should change the color of the logo, which would not, in my opinion, have sent a great message to the global community. But um, there were ongoing debates when there were different inflection. Normally, when there was an issue, um, which you know, because of the open nature of it, whether there were issues that came up, um, at which normally triggered some kind of an internal debate. Laura. You've talked about uh, your background in, in open source work with Microsoft and, and, and licensing and so on. One of the things that impresses me about what's been created with TEDx is what some people label new power, which calls for uh, informal opt-in decision-making, uh, open source collaboration, uh, transparency, and these are all factors that are wrapped into the whole TEDx uh, organization. And now you've kind of moved on to a new organization called BOMA. And uh, I'm seeing that you're beginning to have an impact there as well. Uh, to talk a little bit about uh, the, the concept of new power and how you see this uh, in a vision of where the world's going. Yeah, so it's complicated. Um, you know, I the what I after I left TEDx, I was asked by another organization to come on board and build their global community, and um, they said they were an impact organization. And what was interesting to me, you know, when I left TED, I'd sort of reached the edges of the sandbox that I could play in. What I loved about TEDx was the open source nature of it for sure, but what I was really excited about was the innovation that happened on the edges and the real will of this community to go beyond just the inspiration of events, to think about how do we really make a difference both in our local community and the global community. And then also the power of this collaboration that, you know, we saw in Doha and we've seen many times that when this community comes together in the right way, they have an amazing ability to drive impact, right? And so I wanted to experiment more with that idea. And so I very quickly for this other organization built a global community platform with their alumni and then they were an impact organization and they had some products with, that were generating revenue. And so I started to think about how could I take those into these ecosystems in a decentralized way where the revenue also helped support the, um, the impact and the, the community initiatives. Because what I 
the, the takeaway that I'd taken from TEDx was there were several, but that A, it's really hard as a volunteer community to be sustainable over the long haul. And the people in it at the very beginning, and I don't even want to use this word, but the, the, the burnout, but they but they they do want to move on. They want to grow, they want to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And TEDx didn't allow I couldn't move TEDx in that direction to allow them to grow and take those kind of risks. And so with this new experiment, I was able to try to figure out how in a decentralized way to build this volunteer platform like TEDx with their, volu- with their alumni, but also think about their products and how those products could be taken into region with, in a decentralized way and help drive the impact. And so I built that. Ultimately, it wasn't the right organization for me. Um, it was... I don't subscribe to the notion that technology solves all mankind's problems and they were very singularly focused and how they, and and they weren't really impact driven at the end of the day. So I stepped back out and that's when I reached out to sort of three of the thought leaders in my global community to say, look, if ever we're going to start something from the beginning that we don't, that I, that I don't feel confined by the edges of the organizational sandbox and can really think big picture it's now, and you know, it's a huge step, but should we take it? And there was definitely a question mark at the end of that sentence. And um, you know, we spent a year sort of thinking about it and thinking about what this could, what BOMA could be, and what it could get put forward in the world. And could we really create a an ecosystem that where everything's driven by impact and outcomes? but where we create a new system that it's not for profit maximizing for shareholders only and nonprofits that are constantly in deep fundraising mode, could we find a way to bring it all together? Um, And could we start putting together pieces of this network so that it really worked? And so we decided to jump in and, um, you know, I'm really only four months into it. I had to spend the first, um, you know, I spent the first year creating the framework and I had to raise money, which to be honest, I've never done before in that way. And, um, and so we're four months into building this new global network of sort of local partners. And the idea is that they're going to offer these both transformational learning experience, experiences and community programs for leaders and change makers. And so in this world that's continuously changing, we can think about how to be more intelligent and intentional about the future we want to create. And really my idea right now is to um, create a, the, you know, a global network of people who align behind the values that we all respect, that have been doing initiatives that are giving back to the world, but also are entrepreneurs and understand how to really work with corporations to help them come along on this journey. Um, and we're building the framework to allow for that to happen. And I'm hoping in June also to launch the community platform. And, you know, we're four months in. I um, would love to come back in 10 years and have this exact same conversation because I, I feel like um, you're, you're quite good at getting these things going, these worldwide movements. And everything you were saying about the way you've thought and the way you're thinking has evolved, I think is, is what drives organizers to do what we do, uh, the volunteer nature of what we do, why we do want to make a difference. I remember at the at the summit, there were a bunch of different workshops. And one of the things that came out of that and one of the things we've adopted is there's this notion that TED is ideas worth spreading. 
And when we think of TEDx, we think of it as ideas worth doing. Yeah. So it's that that action piece yeah. of it. And I know Chris has heard that loud and clear from yeah. people. And I think it's uh, it's interesting also that at, at sometimes one of the things we think about as TEDx organizers is we're a farm club uh, to bring speakers to the main stage. And there's so many, and I know that uh, organizers are very proud of that. Let me ask one last question and then we'll, we'll let you get back to your busy life. Um, what would, what did you say to organizers or people who are considering organizing that um, would get them to think about taking the leap and, you know, donating a thousand hours of their year uh, to doing this. And what, what was the pitch like? I don't think there was ever a push strategy. Like it was always, you know, I, I never pitched it. I honestly, I mean, one of the huh. things I, 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 you know, about me and what's, you know, I, I don't like, I, I really like people to be inspired and self-motivated to do what they do. And I don't think at TEDx there was ever a moment where I was pitching people to do things. It was very much, um, I think individuals saw what was going on in other communities and decided to, they'd like to hop on board and think about how to bring that to their community, right? And so that was really how it evolved over time. You know, as I said, there were big challenges in certain communities because as the network got bigger, um, people started using the TEDx brand for, you know, purposes that weren't always completely altruistic. Sometimes they were a little bit more self-motivated. Um, and in those communities, we had to think differently about, well, do we put in different rules and guidelines to um, kind of filter out individuals that are coming to TEDx not necessarily for the perfect reasons. You know, I think in the last few years, it's become even, um, you know, there's even a, and this is just from feedback, there's even a more um, scrupulous lens on people who apply and it's become even more difficult. And most certainly the exceptions are no longer allowed to exist in the world. I think at the time when it was being incubated, the exceptions were some of the things that made it great because they were this, the areas where we could allow for experimentation and push the push the boundaries. The um, I, I think of those as the Wild West days, you know, uh, being back in the in the er, one of the early years. Though I I don't think we were in the original two hundred, but clearly have been around uh, for a while. And you know, it was only just this last year, Randy, wasn't it that we had the first major rules revision. So there was, you know, I yeah. think they adjusted 90. The number is Im impressive, the number of rules, and it, it feels uh, much more flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've just been the last year that they've done that. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. We um, uh, are, are enjoying the fact that, you know, thousands and thousands of people are considering uh, doing the work that we do. You know, there's eight TEDx's on average every given day, 4,000 last year. It's it's staggering uh, what has happened. And personally, I, I think I thanked you when we were in Long Beach. There was a, a Bill and Melinda Gates uh, funded yeah. dinner for yeah. the, the 50 or so organizers yeah. that were there. And, and I looked around and said, hold it. This is 
<laughs> this yeah. is a thing. So thank you very much for joining it's us. It's my pleasure. And I, you know, as I said, we are going to be launching the BOMA Community Initiative in June. And so would love, you know, to think about how the network could help um, power that at some point. But thank you for having me and lovely catching up. Randy, any final words, sir? I'll just say thank you, and and uh, and I wish you well, and and your uh, undertaking with Boma. It looks exciting. Thank you very much. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show, or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to Mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.